welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Fantastic. I, I do, yeah, no, I'm only wearing them for the compliments, although I've had an eye infection all this week, so I've had to say to sort of judges, look, I haven't been mourning the queen or hitting the drink, it's actually an eye infection, so I look, if I look particularly emotional tonight, that's what it is. Um, in my... Sp- <laughs> Thanks, mum. Um, <laughs> 50 soon, Ruth, come on. <laughs> in my spare time... I regularly go walking and climbing mountains with a friend of mine. Now, this friend is a qualified mountain leader. And each time we go go out, he tells me that. And he's uber prepared. You know, it'll be sunny July and he'll have torches, thermals, a shelter. And of course, he's always got a map and a compass. He could literally survive a nuclear apocalypse, I tell you. And this friend loves to try and teach me how to use the map and the compass so that I can navigate and go in the right direction. The only problem is when he starts to teach me, does anybody remember the Charlie Brown Peanuts cartoon? And when Charlie Brown went to school, all he could hear his teacher say was, wah, wah, wah. Wah, 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 wah. And that's what I hear when he gets out. I have no clue how to use this compass. So I rely on my friend to ensure that we're walking in the right direction and that we make it to our destination. If it were left to me, we'd probably get hopelessly lost or walk off the edge of a cliff. And actually... I'm glad I follow my friend's navigation as I get to reach the summits of some epic mountains and I get to see amazing sights and experience the full majesty and beauty of our journey. So today we're carrying on our series called What Are You Waiting For? Looking at the New Testament letter of 1 Thessalonians. And today I'm going to talk about walking in the right direction. So if you've got a Bible or you want to turn in your device to 1 Thessalonians, it's towards the back after the book of Colossians and we're in chapter 4 and I'll read you the first eight verses and it'll come up on the screen. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn how to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. 
So we're looking together at this letter to the Thessalonians, which was written by Paul from the city of Corinth in the year 50 AD. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy, you can read about it in Acts chapter 17, had spent about three weeks preaching before riots erupted in the city and they had to leave. And Paul sent Timothy back to check out how they were doing. And then Paul writes this letter to give the Thessalonians hope and instruction in the midst of persecution. He teaches them about what would happen to those who die before Jesus returns. And then how in the meantime they are to literally walk in a manner worthy of God's kingdom. So today I want to look at three things with you. Firstly, I want to look at our walk. Secondly, walking towards Jesus. And thirdly, that walk. So let's start by looking at at our walk. And I want to read again those first two verses, but I'm going to read it from a slightly different version. It says this, Finally then, brothers and sisters, we request and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel even more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Paul starts by saying, finally, it's probably better to be read as therefore. He's literally getting to the heart of the letter. He's praised them for their faithfulness. He's defended his motives. He's he's praised them for their love of scripture and expressed his personal love for them. Now, Paul is calling the Thessalonians to holiness in their daily walk. And Paul encourages the Thessalonians to walk and please God. The word walk here refers to how we live. The Greek literally translates as to walk about or around. It's about walking in all areas of our lives. So God is deeply concerned with our daily walk, with how we live the Christian life. Earlier in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says this, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And this picture of walking, I love what one writer says. He says this, walking becomes a visual aid to teach us how to live. By means of walking, we move from one sphere to another. We seek to carry out certain responsibilities at work, at home, in the church, and in society. We do many things, some good, some not so good. But walking also means taking one step at a time. And with each step, while one foot is off the ground, as we move forward, we're susceptible to being knocked off balance to stumbling, or even stepping into trouble. Paul says, look, you have a map. You have instructions how to live. I want you to walk in that direction. Are we following the map that God has given us through his word and his spirit? The Bible says that God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. 
You know, I was challenged this week as I was preparing, and I read from that, I don't know if you've ever read that old school Bible commentary by Matthew Henry. And Matthew Henry says this, the apostle taught us how to walk, not how to talk. To talk well without living well will never bring us to heaven. Boom. Well, Matthew Henry didn't do that bit. Um, Now, I'm a good talker. I get paid to talk in court every day. I'm talking to you right now. And of course, the Bible has a lot to say about how we talk and our speech. And my mother told me yesterday I need to pay more attention to those verses. But God is interested in my walk, how I live my life, how it really looks. Does my talk and my walk line up? And as I'm walking in the mountains with my friend, he'll often get his map out and he'll locate us on the map and check where we are and that we're heading in the right direction. Today, are we heading in the right direction? Or have we gone a bit off course? Maybe we're standing still or a bit lost, or maybe we're about to step off the edge of a cliff. For all of us, this passage is a bit of a map check. We're called to take the next step in the right direction and keep moving forwards. And Paul says this, as we walk in the right direction, it pleases God. You know, it's so easy to walk in a way, to live in a way, to please ourselves. Today, let's just pause for a moment and ask God through his Holy Spirit to give us the desire to walk in a way that pleases him. Because when we live our lives set apart under God's royal rule, it puts a smile on his face. When we walk in the opposite direction, rather than please God, we're rejecting him and his Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. It says this, Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. He goes on in chapter 5, verse 19 to say, do not put out, do not quench the Spirit's fire. Paul is giving us our motivation here to walk, to live in a way that puts a smile on God's face, that pleases God. And it so challenged me as I read this and prepared this. Am I living every area of my life in a way that pleases God? Or am I in fact living in a way that puts out the Spirit's fire? And in verse 1, Paul acknowledges that the Thessalonians are living in a way that pleases God. But he encourages them to excel and do so even more. I love the words that Paul uses. The verb he uses means to be over and above, to overflow, to abound, to excel. And then he adds an adverb to it, to do it even more. Um, Let's have the next slide. I don't know if you ever come across this learning model. It's three concentric circles. And in the middle, we have our comfort zone. And then outside that, we have our stretch zone. And then, I don't know if you've ever been in the red zone, the panic zone. Let me read you the definition for a comfort zone. It says this, the comfort zone is the zone in which an individual feels comfortable. There is no fear or discomfort. 
The person feels at home, comfortable and safe. All things are familiar. Within this zone, there are no challenges to start the learning process. There is little reflection or learning in the safe zone. As individuals are unchallenged, things stay the same, often unquestioned. Paul doesn't want the Thessalonians to stay in their comfort zone. He wants them to be stretched, and this means getting uncomfortable. Over the summer, my friend and I went climbing in Snowdonia. We went scrambling on a mountain called Travan. And if you've ever been on Travan, it's quite rocky. And there are certain points where you feel very exposed. And my legs were going literally as, and you know, climbing rocks when you're five foot whatever is a challenge. Come on. And I was literally in my stretch zone. In terms of our Christian walk and our pursuit of becoming like Jesus, have we settled in our comfort zone, the status quo? Paul is saying, take your spiritual devotion to the next level and do so even more. Because a decision to follow Jesus doesn't mark the end of the journey, but it's the beginning and we're called to keep moving forward. In what area of your life is God calling you to move forward today, to excel at even more? You know, following Jesus is not just a mad sprint to the finish line. It's a marathon that requires commitment, tenacity, and discipline. You don't enter a race just to try it out. You enter it to reach the finish line. In my spare time, I love running half marathons. And I have a pace. It's not a very fast pace, but I have a pace that I try to keep at throughout the 21K. So each kilometer, as my watch buzzes, I'll look down and see what my pace is doing. Have I slowed down and do I need to speed up? Or am I going at a crazy pace that I'm going to burn out and not reach the finish line? How's our pace doing today? Secondly, then, walking towards Jesus. In verse 3, Paul says this, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. Your version may say, be made holy. The word sanctification or holy occurs three times in these verses, and it means to be set apart or dedicated, like we just dedicated Ezra, dedicated to God. Now, in the Bible, there are three aspects to being made holy or being sanctified. And what do you know? They all begin with the letter P, or at least they do for me anyway. And the first one is our position. When you become a follower of Jesus your position changes. In the previous book, Colossians, Paul tells us that we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness through the death and resurrection of Jesus into the kingdom of light. And we're made holy now in God's sight. Think of it like this. If we represent the kingdom of darkness by, I know, a football team, let's choose Manchester United. So Manchester United is the kingdom of darkness. You know it in your heart of hearts. They are the red devils after all. And let's think of somebody to represent the kingdom of light. Now, if it was rugby, we know who we'd choose. Come on, it'd be Wales. But let's choose Liverpool for today, all right? I know I might have lost half of you already. But imagine you're a Manchester United player and you get transferred to Liverpool. Your former club now has no hold over you. You now wear the Liverpool strip, and when people see you, they see a Liverpool player. 
And as followers of Jesus, you've been bought into a new team. And you stand forgiven and accepted and holy in God's sight. And you know, when a football player signs on, they get a signing on bonus. And when we become followers of Jesus, we get a down payment of the life to come in the form of his Holy Spirit. Today, if you've never become a follower of Jesus, you can do that. The transfer window is well and truly open. God wants to transfer you onto his team through Jesus. You don't have to become a Liverpool supporter. It's okay. And while we're saved from the penalty of our sin, we still wrestle throughout our lives with the power of sin. And that takes us to the second P of sanctification, present or progressive sanctification. This is our progressive growth in becoming more like Jesus, of bringing more of your life under his rule and reign, to be purified in heart and mind. This is what Paul is talking about here in Thessalonians. It's about our walk. It's about the way we live. It's about walking in the direction of Jesus each day on a new path. And there's no such thing as instant sanctification. There's no easy formula to holiness. It is a lifelong walk. And when we join God's team, we receive the Holy Spirit. But we need to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit so we can be empowered to live lives set apart for God. The theologian Michael Bird says this, the Holy Spirit leads God's people into holiness and transforms them to reflect more and more of God's character in their lives. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit as we seek to live holy lives. As Paul says in Galatians, so I say walk by the Spirit. How do we walk by the Spirit? One of the greatest spiritual writers of the last generation, Dallas Willard, says this. What brings about our transformation into Christ-likeness is our direct personal interaction with Christ through the Spirit. The Spirit makes Christ present to us and draws us towards his likeness. As we take time to engage with the Spirit through study, through solitude, through worship, through prayer, the Spirit develops in us that fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. The final P, perspective. That refers to our future sanctification. When Jesus returns, and comes in all his fullness, we will be transformed and we will dwell in the kingdom of God forever in God's glory. In chapter 5, verse 23, it says that we will be sanctified entirely and without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus. That's when we reach our destination. Until that day, we're called on that progressive walk in the direction of holiness, to walk towards Jesus. If you want it in a sentence, it would be this. Holiness happens when we obey God, imitate Christ's example, and let the Spirit lead us into being who we truly are, new creation. Finally then, that walk. Paul doesn't leave us in just general terms, but he spells it out in three clauses, beginning with the word that in verses three, four, 
and six. So let's look quickly at those three that's. That you should avoid sexual immorality. Thessalonica was a sex-saturated city, much like the world today. The Greco-Roman world viewed sex as simply another biological function, like eating or drinking. When you were hungry, you ate. And when you were thirsty, you drank. In the same way, when you craved sex, you had sex. No restrictions, no guilt. It was simply accepted and was readily available if you desired it. The Thessalonians were immersed in this culture and doubtlessly some of those who followed Christ were former participants in that culture. Paul tells the Thessalonians in verse 3 that they should avoid or keep away from sexual immorality. The word Paul uses literally means to hold back, to keep off, to be distant. As I read this passage, I was reminded of that story in Genesis 39 uh, when uh, Joseph is, is being seduced by Potiphar's wife who wants to, uh, him to sleep with her. And what does he do? He gets as far away as possible and runs away. The message of 1 Thessalonians 4 is to run away from sexual immorality. Too often we try to get as close to the line as possible, but Paul is telling us to go in the opposite direction and run away. Today, are there things we need to keep our distance from? People, places, conversations, websites, programs. In each of those small decisions, are we walking in the direction of Jesus? You may need to get some prayer tonight and invite the Holy Spirit to empower you to keep your distance or maybe chat to somebody on the team or one of your small group about an area you might be wrestling with. Secondly, that you should learn to control your body. In verses 4 and 5, Paul tells the Thessalonians to control their body in a way which is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust. And they were to keep our bodies whole in holiness and honor in every way. However, it's so easy to let our desires control our bodies. As I read this passage, I was reminded of, you know, these random Old Testament verses that you read years ago pop into your head. Job 31 verse 1 popped into my head. I've made a covenant with my eyes, Job says, not to look lustfully at a young woman. A covenant is a solemn promise or agreement. Is there some action step we need to take today to take control of our bodies? As Chuck Swindle says, nobody remains pure by accident. And I think this verse has a wide application to looking after and caring for our bodies. It applies to our eating, to our sleeping, to our exercise. And it's not just not getting enough, but perhaps too much. Is there a way that you're not looking after your body today, perhaps even harming your body? Now, these are big, huge sensitive topics of which there is much more that could be said. But today, your next step may be just to bring this issue to Jesus and start that journey towards him. Thirdly, Paul says that you should not wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. We're called to love others and honor them instead of taking advantage and using them. When we wrong or take advantage of others, we dishonor their personhood as children of God. To walk in the direction of Jesus means not exploiting others. 
but looking out for their well-being and lifting them up. Where today may we be taking advantage or exploiting others, maybe in our workplace, in our family relationships? How do we need to change in order to walk in the direction of Jesus? So today, which direction are we walking in? Do you need to take that first step towards Jesus today? Are you facing particularly difficult terrain at the moment and you need to check the map and alter your course? Have we gone off course and literally need to turn around 180 degrees? And don't forget, when the prodigal son walked in the right direction, the father ran to meet him. It is still all about grace. The call to holiness is a call to walk in the direction of Jesus, to keep moving forward in the direction of him, cooperating with the Holy Spirit and seeking to become more like him in all areas of our lives. Let's stand together. I'll ask the band to come up and I'm just going to read two verses from the end of chapter five as a prayer for us. It says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 to 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.